Hey guys, and welcome back to the most bizarre show on the internet. I am your connoisseur of the strange, Shane Squatch. And I am, let's see, what was I going to be today? Extraterrestrial Orin or something like that? That works, yeah. Whatever works yeah. one you want to go, go with. You got to come up with a bizarre. solid name. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we're still workshopping it over here. But Curator anyway, of the Fringe, Orin the Martian. <laughs> So, uh, anything new going on with you today before we get into everything today, man? No, kind of just the same stuff. Um, you know, we've got Cryptid Halloween 2 coming up. Super excited about that. And uh, as the listeners should know at this point, we're going to be doing our first speaking engagement there. We're going to talk about a topic that's kind of uh, local to the area we're going to be in. And actually, tonight's episode is a bit of a preview for that. So, uh, everybody saddle up for that one. And, uh, of course, we got to throw it into, uh, we will be doing the third part of our thing as encounter stories. So if anybody is interested in sharing their encounter story and you guys are coming to the event, uh, then you guys can just come up on stage with us. Or, you know, if you don't feel comfortable doing that, we can pass on the microphone to you and you guys can share your stories. Or if you want to do it anonymously or you don't feel comfortable coming up and talking, uh, I'll have a notebook over next to the stage that people can just write their encounters in, which will be next at our vending table that'd probably be the easiest way to tell people where to come and find it but for all you guys out there that want to actually be able to come to this event um i am trying to set it up where we're actually going to live stream all three of these so everybody that's at home that you know might be on the other side of the country other side of the world you know you guys will still be able to see it but if you're on that party and you guys want to see the uh live form where we talk about all everybody else's encounters i'm um, giving you guys the option if you guys are interested you guys can uh, send me a message uh sharing your encounters and we'd be more than happy to share them at the event um, I mean, we might not be able to actually check the live feed as we're doing it. So if anybody is interested in doing that, highly recommend shooting us a message before Friday. Cause that'll, yeah, this will be coming out Wednesday. Yeah. So yeah, before Friday, send us a message. And Shane, that's not the only exciting news we have going on this week, right? Yes, sir. I've been working on the new and improved merch store. So over there now, instead of it being under Inquiries All Reality because they wouldn't let me change the URL, uh, will now be set up through Open Minds Media on Teespring. Uh, the link should be all updated already on all of our link trees. So if you guys want to go and check that out, um, I updated a bunch of the designs, made them neater and more crisp, added some new designs on there. So now the Squonkapalooza design that I was talking about, the Squonk, the world's saddest cryptid design is now available to go and check out. And I also added some new uh, design templates, I guess you could say, to some of our, our Bizarre Encounters merch. So now there's a... Uh, 
windbreakers available. There's long sleeve shirts, there's crew necks. And I started doing this other thing because I'm trying to kind of brand all of our stuff together. Uh, we'll have like the design on the front and then there'll be a little circle that'll be on the back of the neck that'll have the open minds media logo. So that'll be something that's new and included on all of the designs. And side note, uh, aside from this show too, uh, I recently updated the, uh, inquiries of our reality logo. So now the new logo for that is available over there too, for a design. And for anybody that listens to this show, figured you guys might be interested in that one too, because it's uh, all original artwork now and it's all creature encrypted related. It's pretty sweet. If you guys haven't checked it out, highly recommend going and checking that out because I know we have listeners that are only on one side and one that are over on the other side, but try to coordinate that more into everything we're doing over here. But I mean, that's, that's pretty new and exciting. So definitely go and check that out. And if you guys do happen to grab anything from the merch store, uh, if you guys don't mind sending us a picture of you guys wearing it, I'd love to be able to repost on the page and, you know, give you guys a appreciation where appreciations do because of course you know you guys are helping to support our show so i'd love to be able to give you guys a shout out on the page and on that note you guys know the drill reach out to us uh through email bizarre encounters at outlook.com reach out to us through social media instagrams where we're most active uh just get up with us some way with any um suggestions for guests topics anything like that anybody that wants to maybe collaborate on something or to share your own bizarre encounters for shane's book he's working on just get up with us somehow and just a little side note to add in from that too, I'd like to do some episodes in the future where it's all just like listener encounters. So if there's any of you guys out there that are listeners and you guys don't think you have like an, an encounter that could take up a full hour, uh, maybe we can set something up or you guys can send us a recording of you guys, you know, a couple minute clip or even on a Friday night or something like that, we could meet up with a bunch of you guys one by one and just record little 10 minute snippets. And I want to at least maybe once every couple months, try to coordinate a community episode together because I want to get all of you guys more involved in the show. So if anybody's interested in that, shoot us a message and let us know. And aside from that, of course, <clears throat> don't forget to follow us all across social media. You know, we're on all the big ones, Facebook, Instagram, primarily, not really messing with uh, Twitter or X or whatever the hell it's called now. <laughs> uh, also, Telegram and Discord, we got some awesome stuff going on over there. Uh, I recently had somebody that started to help me out with the behind the scenes stuff. So now she's uh, dropping some news articles and making some more interaction going on in the Discord. So there's always new and fascinating things to discover as far as that goes. Uh, Telegram, I should hopefully be able to coordinate where everything kind of gets pushed over there, but at least the discord, go and check that one out. Highly recommend it. And uh, YouTube and TikTok, don't forget to check us out there if you want to have clips of the show or even these presentations that we're about to do. I don't know if I'll be able to drop the full thing, obviously, on uh, TikTok, but that'll be up on YouTube. So if you guys want to be able to follow and see that, uh, definitely go and subscribe to the uh, to the YouTube for sure. And uh, if you guys want to support the show, there's a couple different ways to do so. Number one, of course, is to go and join the Patreon. You'll get things such as early access to the show, lives of shows, and live replays of shows. And also, aside from that, too, there is exclusive merch store discounts over there. So if you guys want to scoop any of the merch that I previously mentioned, uh, you guys can always go and join the Patreon first. And you guys will get a little bit of an exclusive discount depending on which tier you guys pick. And then if you guys want to donate to the show directly to help it so help us so we can get out to more events, be able to get out and meet more of you guys, get new pockets of listeners, you guys can always donate to the show on Red Circle, which is our RSS host for the show. It's available all the way down at the bottom of the show description. And if you guys donate over there and uh, it doesn't give you an option for some type of uh, personalized message, let us know that you guys donated and we'd love to give you guys a big shout out on the show. And if y'all are looking for other cool things to support, check out Joe at Crypto Theology. He's killing it with his cryptid and alien and high strangeness designs over there. 
And uh, if you're interested in this show, you'll definitely love what he's got going on. Literally 90% of my wardrobe is crypto theology. I just got to throw it in. And I'm actually, not that you guys can see it, but I'm wearing the old Bizarre Encounters design that he did. And hopefully at some point I can convince him just to edit it and put Orin in there so that that'll be a new up and active design because it's sweet, but it needs to get updated because it has the original second co-host for the show. And it'd be much cooler if Warren gets coordinated back into it. But I just got to talk to Joe. Maybe we can do it this weekend. Maybe we can talk to him That's and get right. him to do it. He just has to meet you in person first. And you got to give him some type of a motivational push. <laughs> oh, I'm sure he'll be thoroughly unimpressed. <laughs> hey, he's been excited to meet us, though. We've been talking about it back and forth. And uh, we recently did it. We did a show last week. And he was saying how excited he was to actually get to meet you in person finally after hearing about you for so long. So, well, you know. I'm going to hate to have to disappoint him. <laughs> he might be pleasantly surprised, man. I mean, yeah, you're, I, you're pretty delightful. I, I, to talk to, I, I do say. <laughs> and everything that I mentioned, of course, is available down in the show notes, down in the show description. All right. And so kind of as we mentioned at the top of the show, this is a little bit of a preview, if you will, for what we're going to be talking about at uh, Cryptid Halloween 2. And this is a topic that Shane's been excited to do for a while, and it just kind of worked out that we could incorporate it into our presentation. But um, Shane, why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about what we got going on tonight? So tonight, I have the story for you guys of Black Shuck. And I have to give a shout out to uh, Sean from Creepy Acres. Uh, he was the one that originally shared this story with me. And I think they may have covered it on their show a couple months back. So definitely got to give him a shout out to it. I wanted to give it a little bit of a spread, but he got me so fascinated in the story. Uh, I instantly started collaborating stuff together because I wasn't aware that they're going to run an episode on it. So, you know, this is the aftermath of that later. Hopefully I have some new details in here. Hopefully we'll have some new opinions and stuff and uh, definitely go and recommend checking out all the stuff that Sean does, which actually everybody knows, you know, those pictures of uh, this day in creepy history where it has like the daily cryptid things that everybody posts on Facebook and Instagram. Yeah, like the cute little cartoons or whatever. Yeah, he does those. So it's that guy. Oh, cool. Everybody knows him in the community that follows all this stuff, but he's even talked about it that like nobody realizes that he's the one that does those. It's that guy. Yeah, like the little like Hopkinsville goblins and stuff like that. Yeah, like this day in creepy history and he posts mm -hmm. one each day and it's like the specific date. Yep, that's the guy. So shout out to that guy okay. because not a lot of people realize that he does that. And on the other side note of what Creepy Acres is, just because I find it absolutely amusing, it's uh, adult puppets of cryptids, and it's like a comedy show. So totally different than like what we do. Um, so definitely recommend going and checking that guy, that out if you guys want to have a laugh. But even though it's puppets, uh, not recommended for kids. I know in the first episode, he talks about uh, basically somebody getting uh, penetrated in the, in the back door by a Sasquatch. So yeah, not for kids. <laughs> But uh, with that, of course, let's get into the Black Shuck. Uh, the legend of Black Shuck is an eerie and fascinating one about a spectral dog-like creature that has intrigued and terrified people throughout history. So buckle up and prepare to be entwined into a chilling tale of folklore and supernatural encounters. Ooh. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Before we dive into the myths surrounding the Black Shuck, let's take a look at its origins. In English folklore, Black Shuck... Old Shuck, or Old Shock, is one of many such black dogs recorded in folklore, said to be a ghostly canine that haunts the marshes, forests, and desolate areas of the British Isles, particularly roaming the coastlines and countryside of East Anglia. Accounts of Black Shuck form part of the folklore of Norfolk, Suffolk, the Cambridgeshire, Fiends, and Essex, and descriptions of the creature's appearance and nature vary considerably. 
but it is most commonly described as a large black dog with red, fiery eyes. It is sometimes recorded as an omen of death, but in other instances is described as companionable. I mean, that'd be pretty damn sweet, man. I want to have a big, fiery, black dog as a, as a sidekick. Sounds like something from like Skyrim or like a video game or something, man. Man, I bet the other dogs at the dog park would be scared shitless. Dude, it'd be like, a, I swear that was in a movie or something, man. They'd all be like hiding in the corner. You'd have this like beast of a dog. And everybody would be like, there's something wrong with that dog. You'd be like, no, that's, it, like, he's just big. Ghost turds or would it be like real dog turds? I, I feel mean, like, These are the hard-hitting questions we need answers to. Or would it be just like magma balls of just fiery, like, sulfuric fiery smelling shit? shit. <laughs> I'm going with that. that. That seems the most likely. This sounds pretty damn sweet. Right. I want a dog that, that shits fire. That, uh, that Cleared up. On to the next thing. <laughs> hey, you won't have to worry about cleaning it up, though. it just burn itself away, right? Essentially, that'd be the idea. Like, minimal <laughs> minimal things to have to deal with for the dog. Like, that, that just sounds like a, like a plus to me. Yeah, so you heard it here first, guys. Run out and get you a fiery demon death hound. Awesome. Minimal or a hellhound. clean up. <laughs> and they might actually retrieve some souls for you. I don't know how dark you guys get, but, you know, that might be a perk to some. There's only one way to find out. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> we need a dun, dun, dun counter on this. And I guess, hey, technically this is like our Halloween episode, so it makes sense. Hey, it's perfect. Actually, weirdly enough, this was like a perfect thing to cover for Halloween, even though it doesn't happen your Halloween, but it's Fiery Demon Dog. But anyways. Yeah, close enough. <laughs> let's get It'll back. in a pinch. Yeah, exactly. No, it wasn't a pinch. I was excited about this one. I've been putting this one together, yeah, we've man. We've had this one on deck for a while. <laughs> no, just with the presentation, this is a perfect time to drop it. Oh, I'll add some sound anyway, effects into the background, too. I got, I got you there. <laughs> I'll quit derailing you. Continue. It's okay. <laughs> According to the Oxford English Dictionary, the name Shuck derives from the Old English word sucka, meaning devil or fiend, uh, perhaps from the root shuck, meaning to terrify. Legend has it that it that encounters with the black shuck date back to the Middle Ages. Tales of the fearsome creature spread across the land, both frightening and intriguing those who have heard them, and to those unfortunate enough to see it, foretells imminent tragedy or disaster. In many accounts, the black shuck is portrayed as a vicious beast that attacks humans, leaving behind indelible claw marks as evidence of its presence. Some accounts even claim that the creature has the ability to pass through solid objects or vanish into thin air, adding to its supernatural allure. Ooh. Do we get a dun-dun-dun here? Yes, we need a dun-dun-dun, and we need like a like a ghostly sound for the background. I mean, it, sound, it doesn't sound bad when I'm doing it on the microphone, though. <laughs> See, we just have to do a combination. I'll do the... That's my bedroom noise. <laughs> we got to combine them. It'll make like the equilibrium of ghostly sounds. I'll do the lows. You do the highs. We'll we'll make a right. melody out of it. You ready? You ready? Yep. Three, two, one. Ooh. That's extra spooky. I love it. I'm going to leave that in the show. Uh, in its full entirety, that part is going to get left in the show. <laughs> I don't know why anybody listens to this bullshit, honestly. It's because we have fun, man. Everybody just wants to have fun. They're at work. They're listening. They want to hear some weird stories, and they want to laugh while they're listening to it. Hey, everybody out there, I'm sincerely sorry. Anyway. <laughs> Not even my girlfriend wants to listen to me talk. <laughs> I mean, she's going to listen to you talk all the time. Do you blame her? Yeah, yeah, you ain't wrong there. I'll, I'll give you that one. <laughs> the Black Shuck has left an indelible mark on British folklore, with numerous eyewitness reports further intensifying the legends. People have reported being followed by the spectral dog, feeling its presence at their heels 
even though they physically could not see it. Others claim to have seen the black shuck vanish into darkness just as quickly as it appeared. The first... <laughs> no, done, done, done that time. <laughs> I was going to do a ghostly noise, but I just didn't want to overkill it. <laughs> yeah, it won't be funny anymore because it's so hilarious as is. It's funny to me, at least. I don't know about all you listeners out there, but I, I yeah, find it amusing. I'm sure the listeners are just loving this. <laughs> the first ghost noise circle jerking over here. Ooh, don't, don't get me too excited, man. <laughs> Shit hounds and ghost circle jerks. Ghostly circle jerks. You know, there's the whole idea of like a ghost poop. Is there such thing as a ghost cum? I mean, that was kind of my question about like the the demon dog turds. Like, are they real turds or are they ghost turds? At least the dog is going to feel like it did it. Just essentially just like a ghost poop. You felt like you did it. And assumably a ghost cum, it would feel like you did it, but there wouldn't be a mess to clean up. So maybe that's a good thing. Well, that's ideal, isn't it? Exactly, right? That's 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 bringing it Time and effort and heartache in the long run. <laughs> you don't even got to pull out. You just you just ghost comer. <laughs> Spray and pray, man. Oh, bruh. <laughs> That's what she said. <laughs> I haven't used that in a few episodes. I had to throw it in. We're at the perfect well, point for perfect that. Perfect opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> the first mention in print of Black Shuck is by Reverend E.S. Taylor in an 1850s edition of the journal notes and quarries, which describes Shuck, the dog fiend. This phantom, I have heard many persons in East Suffolk, Cambridgeshire, described as having seen as a black shaggy dog with fiery eyes and immense size and who visits churchyards at midnight, he states. In 1877, Walter Rye stated that the shuck was the most curious of all local apparitions as there are no doubt varieties of the same animal, which... I do find fascinating because we're going to get into it in our presentation. Just a little sneak peek for anybody that's actually listening to the episode that we will be talking about some more of those uh, closely related fiery demon dogs. Now, we're about to get into the main encounter that caught my fascination with this whole thing. So before we get into that, I'll leave you room to talk because as soon as I go for this story, man, I'm going to run the story all the way through so that everybody gets it in its entirety. But you have any comments before I start this one? This is this is the piece of resistance, my friend. I mean, um, I guess I'll just throw in, and I don't know if this would be better saved for the conclusions, but so far, you know, to me, this hits a lot of the hallmarks of, you know, high strangeness in general, like the sulfur smell and, you know, things appearing and disappearing out of thin air, but definitely like more recent dogman encounters. So, I mean, it seems like whatever this creature entity phenomenon is, is something that's been ongoing, like you said, since the middle ages, if not before. And, you know, with the whole focus on dogman here recently, it seems like this kind of thing has really popped up and intensified lately, which we've talked about on the show, you know, to various degrees throughout the past year or so but uh yeah that's kind of just where i'm at at this point like just pretty typical dog man paranormal high strangeness up to this point not that that's a bad thing but i mean in all fairness i was going to make the connection and mention it too if you combine the folklore of these black apparition ghostly dogs mixed with the original werewolf lore like the um what's the word for it lichen lycanthrope i think yeah lycanthrope then you essentially get the dog man. I mean, like, yeah. 
not to get too crazy woo or anything, but like theoretically, if you bred one of these guys with a werewolf, you would end up with a dog man. That's that's what it sounds like, at least from all the details put together. You got a little bit of both families here going. Well, and I hate to beat this drum again, but you know, the whole werewolf thing, I think, and you know, we can talk about this because it's the Halloween episode, but I think a lot of the werewolf thing could boil down to, like we always talk about, issues of language as well and the game of telephone and, you know, throughout folklore and throughout the years, something as simple as, you know, somebody saw one of these dogman type creatures and said, oh, it stood up and walked like a man could have got spun into, it turns into a man or something like that. And I think I've talked about this uh, probably in our Michigan dogman series, but that's just always where I go back to with like vampires and werewolves and these like really old tales of, you know, creatures like that is it has to be based off of something. And like I always say, what could that mean in real world terms? You know, I mean, just to make a comment about vampires, just because it is Halloween. I mean, realistically you have this whole like elite concept of them, like with the whole adrenochrome thing and like drinking blood and everything. So essentially you could have had upper class, uh, people back in the day that were essentially doing the same like adrenochrome concept, like scaring people and then like drinking their blood, essentially thinking, I mean, maybe there is something to it, but thinking that it kept them young and an entire base of folklore and vampires could have literally just been based off of elites consuming the blood of, of younger, younger people or people that they saw as less. And it, it just created like a whole folklore around it because it's hard to imagine people just doing that to other people. So I feel like it's almost easier to imagine that they're not something that's a person. Cause essentially, I mean, morally they're not a person at that point. So maybe that's where the folklore kind of gets based in that they're like eternal, that they're this, that they're that is it was just, they were trying to rationalize the idea of people consuming the blood of other people and trying to put it behind this whole other idea. Cause that even fits in with the old vampire lore that they're always very elegant and they're very, uh, you know, well-dressed. Well, yeah, yeah. It could have been just the upper class that was consuming, you know, the poorer class. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I got kind of two thoughts on that, if you don't mind me going off the rails a little bit. But uh, as you were talking, I had that same thought. You know, it's Count Dracula. You know, he's a, a count, which is obviously aristocracy. And, you know, uh, it's, I think it's pretty widely known that the whole Dracula myth was based off of um, – Vlad Shit, the Impaler. I just blanked on it. Yeah, Vlad the Impaler. So, which again is like aristocracy, the elites. And the other thing I was going to throw in there is I've come across a lot of things that were kind of highlighting the similarities between men in black lore and vampire lore. And it could be easily spun as, you know, these men in black entities, whatever they may be. The kind of vampire thing was what they took their guys as in centuries past because you know the whole they have to be invited in and they you know are mm. associated with wearing black and things like that so um nick redfern has a book uh, it's called i believe the real men in black and there's like a chapter in it about you know those connections and it, it's really cool and i never thought about it in those terms but again it gets back to what could these things mean in real world terms you know i mean it could be a combining of folklore or it could be that they're two totally separate things but just even throw in another whole thing with like the whole vampire lore, since we're taking a second before we get into the awesome story of the Black Shuck part of it. Um, are you familiar by chance with uh, Elizabeth Bathory? No, I don't think so. Uh, they also call her the Blood Countess. And essentially she was 
she would take young girls and she would torture them. And she believed that by bathing in their blood, that it would keep her young and looking beautiful. So I feel like a lot of the adrenochrome concept and a lot of the vampire concept also gets pulled from the whole blood countess, Elizabeth Bathory thing. And again, blood countess, you know, count Dracula, like it's all sounds like royalty or not royalty, but like the higher ups, the elite, the elite ruling class, essentially. Uh, And, you know, it could be just as simple as that. Uh, These people in positions of power have been doing basically the same thing for hundreds or even thousands of years. And, you know, like we talk about with aliens and stuff like that, people use the best language they have to describe these things. And, oh my God, it's this monster that sucks blood and, you know, preys on another thing, you know, young virginal girls a lot of times in these vampire stories. So I think that's a really interesting spin on it. Of This could just be, you know, Illuminati shit before Illuminati shit. So. Mm-hmm. And just to bring it back around on this one. All right. So you got the vampires versus the werewolves. That's always been a thing, right? So vampires seem to associate more with the upper class, right? Werewolves seem to uh, associate more with like the poorer class. So yeah, maybe that's the documentary twilight. Um, you know, the, <laughs> the, the vampires were sparkly and rich and whatever, and doctors and the, yeah. So anyway, in that documentary, but continue. We'll, we'll, we'll shift gears on it. We'll even go with Underworld. Because Underworld, the vampires are very elegant living in a mansion, and then the werewolves are very guttural, just, you know. But anyways, just connecting those two. Um, so you have this two ideas of folklore that could essentially have been based off of the rich eating people, and then the poor eating people because they didn't have food by ch- for, for some reason, and people saw that as crazy animalistic. So you could have this whole idea of folklore that's based off of the two separate classes and the reason why they've been enemies for centuries is because essentially it's representing the upper class and the, and the, the poor class. And that also kind of gets back to ideas of like the Wendigo and, you know, there's a lot of connections between like Wendigo and skinwalkers. And you, I mean, that's one step away from werewolves and dogmen and things like that. And it's, you know, people having to eat people when their backs against the wall. And that's basically what you just said, you know? I think we're getting to, to the root of something here, man. The folklore at least, but I'm not going to discredit the fact that these things could exist because it is definitely a possibility. Because I know uh, Crypt of the Corn recently dropped something about it with the whole Uncanny Valley concept with uh, not necessarily vampires, but something that preys on people. And, uh, you know, there's still a possibility that something like that exists that looks very human-like, and that's what makes you uncomfortable, just reconnecting back into the, even the whole Men in Black concept. Yeah, there you go. But anyways, not to deter too far away from you guys, but I know you guys love that because we the only reason we're leaving that in is because it's Halloween and we felt like that was very Halloween associated. So there you go. There, there's your little Halloween spook along with... I mean, we've talked about ghosts. We've talked about vampires. We've talked about werewolves. A little bit of everything. We're checking all the boxes tonight, man. We just need to bring up Frankenstein at some point and then we'll be good. Maybe we'll get hey, a chance later on. Them up. There you go. <laughs> Perfect. Boom. <laughs> well, Frankenstein's monster. I got to be technical because Frankenstein. I'm sure people are probably out there thinking it. Frankenstein is the doctor. Frankenstein's monster is the creature. Yeah. But anyways, let's get back into uh, Black Chuck. So this is the, the main big encounter as far as Black Chuck goes. So everybody prepare yourself for this one. The most famous encounter with Black Chuck was on, a, was on Sunday, August 4th, 1577, between 9 a.m. and 10 p.m. in the rural region of Bungay, Suffolk, England. The locals lived simple lives full of farming and religious devotion. 
However, their tranquility was shattered when the church bells began to toll relentlessly on a storm-filled day. It was in the midst of the tempest that Black Shuck emerged from the stormy night, causing a panic and leaving behind a shock trail of death and devastation. On that fateful day, as villagers huddled in their humble cottages, sheltering from the raging storm, Black Shuck appeared like a ghostly shadow on the outskirts of town. The accounts of witnesses described it as a monstrous creature, seeming to glide through the air with its bottomless gaze and razor-sharp fangs. Black Shuck's first victim was the unsuspecting churchgoers at St. Mary's Church in Bungay, Suffolk, where the creature's presence struck terror into the hearts of those in attendance. The doors burst open with a thunderous crack, and amongst the chaos and panic, Black Shuck ran up the nave past a large congregation, claiming the lives of a 40-year-old man and a 15-year-old boy, who were kneeling and praying at the front of the church, tearing them to absolute shreds. Then, turning to another man and sinking his fangs into his flesh, miraculously, the man somehow escaped the jaws of the beast, living to tell the tale, while Shuck disappeared into the darkness of the storm from whence he came. But, as he exited the church, lightning struck and caused the steeple to topple and collapsed through the roof and into the church itself. The terror did not end there. Desperate for safety, the villagers locked themselves indoors, believing that would protect them from the devilish creature. However, Black Shuck was relentless and prowled the streets, instilling fear and dread throughout the community. It left a trail of destruction in its wake, attacking innocent passersby who had the misfortune to cross its path. Just 12 miles to the south, in Blythburg, at Holy Trinity Church, another congregation was sheltering from the storm during their Sunday service. When a huge clap of thunder shook the cathedral, Black Shuck came barreling in, coming to rest on the church's root screen, which is a common feature in late medieval church architecture, typically an ornate patrician between the chancel and the nave made of carved wood and stone. I just had to throw that little fun fact in there for you because root screen sounded cool and I had to explain what the hell that was because when I first read that, I had no fucking idea what that was. I'm going to be totally honest with you. <laughs> was that your nickname in high school? Root screen? Root screen? Maybe. I didn't have a nickname in high school. I didn't have any friends in high school, man. <laughs> Explains a lot. Yeah. This, this is why I got into this stuff, man. What do you think I did every night, man? I just look hey, into man, weird stuff. You know, I was homeschooled, so I mean, I have no room to talk. <laughs> and that's why we became friends. I pretty much was by myself in school and you were by yourself at school. So to, we've come together now and perform. And come together. We have come. Did the ghost come? Bruh. That's what she said. Ooh, doubled it up that time. <laughs> that, that, and for you listeners out there, that was a joke from earlier in the episode. What is that? What is that called? Uh, there's a name for it. I don't know. It was foreshadowing before because I was going to Tarantino around to this joke again. Past shadowing? There's, there, what's, sure. Let's sure. go with that. There, you guys know what we're getting at. <laughs> we have fun around here. We're not, we're not, we're not, um, scholars. We're, we're not, we're this not. This is like the most fucking unhinged episode we've ever had. Hey, but this has been the most fun so far, in my opinion. <laughs> I'm going to start like doing funny voices or something before long. I oh, haven't dude. done one since uh, Jack Parsons. That was a magical fiasco. Hey, y you know what this whole Black Shuck uh, situation is? 
What is it? What is it, Orm? Ooh, you didn't do the voice, though. <laughs> do the voice. Do the voice. The Black Chuck is a magical fiasco. Woohoo! We got Jack Parsons as our extra co-host for two seconds. Uh, we'll see you later, Jack. Go back to uh, wherever the hell you came from, missing half your face. Hell. <laughs> Very unhinged, but we're having fun. <laughs> it is said that he positioned himself there to stare upon the frightened churchgoers with his fiery red eyes, almost as if, it, if to carefully select his next victim. And then he swung himself down to claim yet another three lives of two men and another boy. Others in the church suffered from mysterious burns, almost as if the nightmarish beast had brought the wrath of hell itself. Then, as quick as it had all started, the dog left, leaving scorched claw marks, also known as the devil's fingerprints, on the north door, which can still be seen at that very church today. As reports of Black Shuck's reign of terror spread, the fear grew exponentially. Villagers believed that the paranormal creature was nothing short of the devil incarnated, sent to punish them for their sins. The panic and hysteria reached such heights that it took the local authorities and clergymen by surprise, who struggled to maintain order and offer any semblance of protection. Despite their efforts, Black Shuck remained elusive, disappearing as it arrived, in a flash of lightning and a swirl of darkness, the beast seemingly vanished, leaving the townsfolk to cope with the emotional scars and collected trauma inflicted upon them. And there you guys go. There's the uh, the main big black shuck encounter done by me in my spooky narrator voice. So that's that's for you guys. You guys enjoy that. Take that home with you. Well... I think that's a really cool story. Um, I was not familiar with this until you brought it up, uh, you know, months ago at this point as a, a topic you wanted to cover. But something I think is interesting about this story. Uh, one, the first thing that jumps out at me is the fact that they refer to these claw marks as uh, like the devil's fingerprints. So that kind of goes back to things we've been talking about a lot on the show of this idea that any kind of paranormal supernatural type things gets, you know, tagged with the devil's something, you know, we talked about the devil's tramping ground, which could have UFO fairy type connections. And in that episode, I think I talked about the fact that, um, in like indigenous lore, uh, places that have the devil's, blank in their name are frequently associated with uh, Bigfoot activity. So this isn't a Bigfoot, but it's, you know, kind of a dog man type creature. And we've talked about the dog man, Bigfoot possible connections before. So that was something that really jumped out at me. The fact that, you know, this was a dog that these people saw. They didn't call it, you know, the ghost dog's fingerprints. They call it the devil's fingerprint. So I, I don't know. That was just something I thought was kind of interesting. I mean, at least from like their perspective, realistically, like you're coming from like a time when people were very church oriented. And if something just came in and just shredded very specific seeming people, like I feel like honestly, if even putting yourself in that time, your first thing you'd associate that with is that those people did something wrong. They were sinners and this thing was coming to collect it. And yeah, I mean, I that's mean, probably, they literally thought this thing was the devil, like with all the clues and the, you know, the time that they lived in, like nobody would have assumed anything else, you know? 
Well, yeah, exactly. Like, even if it didn't rain, you know, God was punishing you at that point in time. So if some fucking hellhound comes barging into your church, I mean, it makes sense that that's going to be the connotation. But I, I just think it's interesting, you know, again, language, this idea that demons or aliens or cryptids or whatever weirdness people are experiencing always gets rolled kind of into the same thing until very recently you know i'd say in the past 20 or 30 years you know dude i found it really really weird i decided to make a comment on this that in both churches not that they can connect it at the time but it took two men and a boy in both that seems like i didn't even catch that it's kind of weird right like it was like almost seems like purposeful but the weird part is like i'm gonna put include it in the cover art so you guys can see it but these fingerprints that are on the church door like they say scorched into the church door. They literally are. It's like, it's scorched in. Like there was something like hot with it. So, I mean, like whether you believe in the paranormal or not, I mean, it could have just simply been like an animal that came flying through and just scratched the door, but there's the extra like burn to it. And that's what throws me off because, you know, I would have just associated it with maybe just like a, like a ravenous dog that barged into this church because that's where all the people were. And that's where I heard noise coming from. But the, the actual scorch itself is what kind of, Kind of throws off my thinking on that one. Well, something else that I thought of while you were telling the story is this idea that, you know, these ghostly black dogs, there's obviously some sort of physical component to it as well. You know, there is this more spectral component, but there's a physical component. And a lot of people talk about nowadays with like the more ultra terrestrial, extra dimensional type ideas you know, there's something physical going on, but you can go to these places and you can have these experiences in your own mind or things like that. Like there is a physical component to it and there's a more spectral, whatever word you want to put on it component. So I thought that was kind of cool too, that, you know, this combination of the real and the more esoteric has been going on with weird stuff since, you know, the Middle Ages, basically, what it says here in the notes. I mean, I don't know how to where to quite place this, but this is the first thing that my mind went to. So just off of that, I feel like it might be something that's worth saying. So UFO, we talked about this on the Devil's Tramping Ground. When UFOs land or there's UFO activity, they typically leave a scorch. And mm -hmm. from uh, Tim Swartz, um, he also collected a bunch of encounters where people would go up to like UFOs and it would be vibrating at a certain frequency and it would like literally burn people that would touch it. So this thing obviously has the ability to burn the people that it ran past in the church and burn the door. So I'm not necessarily saying that it's alien related, but theoretically maybe they came I from the same of, place. Yeah. I had kind of the same thoughts of as far as, and I think we talked about this uh, a little bit in the Jack Parsons episode, like the whole Collins elite thing, but this idea that this technology or whatever is being used as some kind of, um, you know, screen almost, but it can also interact in our physical reality. And that seems to be what was going on here. It was ghost-like, but could also interact with physical things. So, so no, I had that exact same thought. Well, I'm glad we brought it up. Great minds think alike, or, you know, our minds Dumbass. think alike. <laughs> I was going to use and a different word, but that's not PC no more. This is live. Come to Cryptid Halloween, too. Yeah, we're going to have lots of shenanigans and magical fiascos. Mm, uh, man, there's going to be a magical fiasco 
at that casino right down the street afterwards. I'll tell you that. Hey, and if you guys show up, enough of you guys show up, you might just get Oren to do the magical fiasco voice for you guys live. Hey, I accept checks. I'll do whatever you guys want me to. <laughs> but, hey, but on that note, if you guys are going to be at the show next week, um, we are talking about doing like a little after party type situation. There's a brewery like literally across the street from where the venue is. So uh, keep that one in y'all's back pockets. If you're going to show up, um, come have a beer with us afterwards. So anyway, just throwing that in there, Shane. Oh, yeah. And uh, just a side note also, I may not actually be able to stay out in West Virginia, but no matter what, after the show ends, I'll at least be hanging out over there at the brewery for at least like, you know, two or three hours maybe if I am driving home that night. So no matter what, even if I'm not staying out there, I will at least come and hang out with you guys at the brewery and everything. And, you know, it's the one time I get to meet Orin in person until next year. So I got to take full advantage of it while I'm there, you know? And I'll be there till Sunday, one way or the other. So, there's that. <laughs> Cross my fingers, hope for the best, my friend. <laughs> there you go. But uh, getting back into these notes. So, Reverend Abraham Fleming's account of the appearance of the ghostly black dog is in the writing titled, A Strange and Terrible Wonder, which is spelled super weird because it's Old English. So, it's uh, I just got to throw this out here, how weird this is. Terrible is spelled like Charles Barkley pronounces it. It's terrible. And then strange is spelt with a U in the middle of it. And then wonder is W-U-N-D-E-R, which in all fairness, I don't know if that might be more to the actual, like what the characters sound like, you know, might be. It's a terrible wonder. Terrible. Yeah. <laughs> I just imagined a Southern accent when you said that. Like this is typed, old English is typed like how you would pronounce a Southern accent, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah, just looking at it. Hey, you want me to give it a go? Yeah, I want you to just off the fucking rails. Yeah, I really want you to give it a go. A strange and terrible wonder. That's <laughs> that's literally how it's spelled. That's 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 like too deep south. <laughs> that's like a like Louisiana Bayou deep south. No, they speak Cajun down there. That's its own thing. Home and where you make it. You know, you like to look at homos naked. <laughs> Which is fine if you want to do that. <laughs> just so everybody knows, that's from Joe Dirt. I'm not just being being a dick <laughs> purposely. That that's literally I mean, a line from a, a movie. Dick, but it's also from Joe Dirt. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll just leave that there and continue on with the show for Dude, you guys. We've circled this back around flaming shit balls. <laughs> Joe Dirt <laughs> has the shit meteor. Oh my god, dude, you're connecting stuff that I didn't even think of. Yeah, that uh, that's why we make the big books. <laughs> Joe Rogan, here we fucking come. Whoop whoop. Wait. Bruh. Bruh. Wait, I got I got something better. Come on. Here's an idea. Aliens. I should have hit that when we were talking about the vibrations. <laughs> it's all about the vibrations. It's all about them vibrations, baby. I gotta play some Marky Mark. <laughs> Feel the vibrations. So I've uh pronounced words terribly incorrectly. Alright, we gotta put let's hop back into pronouncing more words terribly. The devil in such a likeness, but devil is spelled D-I-V-E-L. Old English. Gotta love it. Hey, that one works too. The devil. <laughs> the devil. <laughs> I cannot pronounce these Native American words, but you give me some redneck shit to do. I'm off to the fucking races, bro. I mean, this just kind of proves the whole thing that I was talking about a long time ago. I don't even know if I mentioned this on the air, but I know we we're talking about it, that if you take the English accent and you slow it down, it turns into the Southern accent. Like, this is almost kind of proving that in a weird way no, that that's got, where yeah, that came no, from I, I got this one, I got this one. <laughs> my time to shine motherfucker devil look out for the devil 
He's such a terrible wonder. And by the way, I'm not doing a bad accent. I am just saying these words how they are typed. (laughs) I'm sure that there will, I'll I'll include that article in the show cover. So you guys will at least see like the article itself. Bullshitting. I don't know why they'd believe anything we're saying at this point, but (laughs) anywho. Littleport, Cambridgeshire is home to two different legends of spectral black dogs, which has been linked to the black shuck folklore, but differ in significant aspects. Local folklorist W.H. Barrett relates the story of a huge black dog haunting the area after being killed, rescuing a local girl from a lustful friar in pre-Reformation times. While f- a lustful friar. Did I say that wrong? No, that's just hilarious. Aren't they <laughs> supposed to be like unlustful? Isn't that like the whole thing? Yeah, but the ones that are supposed to be unlustful are always the most lustful. You know, the whole the whole joke going with uh, with priests. You know, with uh, their their love interests. The lustful friars. Mm. Anyway, I interrupted, but I just thought lustful friar was hilarious. That's what she said. Hit <laughs> the wrong one, but it still worked. Bruh. <laughs> Close enough. <laughs> While fellow folklorist Enid Porter relates stories of a black dog haunting the A-10 road after its owner drowned in a nearby river in the 1800s. According to some legend, the dog's appearance bodes ill to the beholder. For example, in the Essex, Malden, and Dingy area of Essex, the most southern point of sightings, while seeing black shuck means that the observer's almost imminent death. However, more often than not, Stories tell of Black Shuck terrifying his victims, but leaving them alone to continue living normal lives. In some cases, it has supposedly happened before close relatives to the observer die or become ill. By contrast, in other tales, the animal is regarded as relatively benign and said to accompany women on their way home in the role of the protector rather than a potential or ill omen. Some black dogs have been said to help lost travelers find their way home and are more often helpful than threatening. Sherwood notes that benign accounts of the dog become more regular towards the end of the 19th and throughout the 20th century. In Northern England, the spectral dog who acts as a guide to travelers is also known as Gitresh. Dr. Simon Sherwood suggests that the earliest surviving descriptions of devilish black hounds in an account of an incident in the Petersborough Alley recorded in the Petersborough Chronicle, one of the Anglo-Saxon chronicles around 1127. This account also appears to describe the Europe-wide phenomenon of a wild hunt. And this is a portion of that article, just so all you guys know. And if I have trouble running through it because I might have some weird words, at least you guys know. Let I'll no- pronounce them in a southern accent if I need to. Perfect. Maybe you should just read this whole thing in a southern accent. You want me to do Well, hey, how about I just read it, and if I need to throw some in for a little extra flavor, I'll do that. How about that? Okay, yeah. You, you, you can do this right, portion. I'll, I'll let this? you do this one. Okay. All right. Let no one be surprised at the truth of what we are about to relate, for it was common knowledge throughout the whole country that immediately after, it was the Sunday when they sing... And I don't know how to pronounce this, so I'm going to spell it. E-X-U-R-G-E-Q-U-A-R-E. Excurge Quare? That's how I'd, I'd guess it. Many men both saw and heard a great number of huntsmen hunting. 
Huntsman hunting. That's like a, a seven ladies dancing. <laughs> it's yeah. a double entendre. <laughs> yeah. Number of huntsmen hunting. The huntsmen were black, huge, and hideous, and rode on black horses and on black he-goats, and their hounds were jet black with eyes like saucers and horrible. This was seen in the very deer park of the town of Petersborough, and in all the woods that stretch from that same town to Lincolnshire Stamford, which, as I've said, these English town names are just great to me. I love it so much. They all sound like Hobbit shit. I like how their town names are so weird, but then their names are so basic. Like their actual names. From Lincolnshire, Stamford. (laughs) And in the night, the monks heard them sounding and winding their horns. Reliable witnesses who kept watch in the night declared that there might well have been as many as 20 or 30 of them winding their horns as near as they could tell. This was seen and heard from the time of his arrival all through Lent and right up to Easter. Thank you for reading that portion, sir. It sounds better to have a different voice. You guys can almost imagine that it's like a narrator just reading that portion. That, that yeah, worked perfect. There, was, there wasn't any fun words, but it's okay. Yeah, it was still it was still fun all the same. You still got to say some uh, English towns. That's Lincoln always fun. Lincoln Hampshire was fun. Lincoln Hampshire. Yeah. It sounds like a sauce. It sounds like Worcestershire. Yep, Worcestershire sauce. I bet it's fucking delicious. I've never. I don't actually know what that tastes like offhand. I'm gonna be totally honest with you. Hampshireshire. What? Worcestershire. Worcestershire. Hampshireshire. Like, <laughs> kind of salty. It's like white person soy sauce. I feel like that's what I assumed that it was. That uh, that was like what it looks like. If I'm being totally honest yeah, you with put you. Put it in like Chex Mix and on steaks and shit. So it's literally yeah, white people soy sauce, salty ass sodium yeah. black yeah, stuff. Uh, that's the best way I can describe it. Well, I'll have to try that then. I guess. Those striking accounts have not only added to the allure and mystery surrounding the Black Shuck, but have also sparked numerous debates and theories about its true nature. Some believe the creature to be a manifestation of a demon or a spirit, while others consider it to be a harbinger of punishment or even a guardian of the supernatural. Well, so this is kind of like Mothman shit, basically, and... You know, uh, I don't know how much of the presentation we're doing that we're going to record for an episode, but a lot of these black dogs have this same harbinger of doom type connotation that, you know, Mothman has. So that's something I think is kind of kind of interesting and, again, becomes like a chicken or egg situation. Do these things show up because something bad is happening or does something bad happen because these things show up? And I think I've gone on the record of saying, you know, in the Mothman case, I think, Mothman was there because there was other weird shit going on, not because he caused it, you know? Or, on another side, are they coming to try to warn people that something bad is going to happen? And they're not even the one that's doing anything bad. They're actually trying to be helpful. Yeah. Yeah, and, uh, you know, since we're kind of going off topic a little bit, you were talking about the fact that in the notes... You know, this started off as a very, you know, negative, malevolent type thing. And then as time went on, there were more connotations of it being a protector or something like that. And that's something I came across a lot in my notes and my research is this idea that, you know, some people thought these things were like a harbinger of doom. And then some people thought they were a protector of travelers. So I think that just goes back to so much of the paranormal and just weird shit that people experience is so up to interpretation. You know, if you go into something 
expecting to have a bad negative experience, that's probably what's going to happen. And, you know, if you see something weird, nothing bad happens to you, you know, it might just be you saw something weird. It could be as simple as that. People are jinxing themselves with superstition of seeing something weird, assuming that it's something bad. And in turn, then they're looking for something bad to happen. Yeah. And I think, you know, this is a crude analogy, but I think I've said it before. If you were driving to work tomorrow and saw an elephant crossing the road, that would be something weird, but it wouldn't necessarily be bad or malevolent or a harbinger of doom. It would just be, you saw something weird, you know, like if you saw an elephant walking across the road and you wrecked your car because of that, that's not the elephant's fault, (laughs) you know? So Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people historically, I'll say have latched on to anytime something weird happens, it's evil or the devil or anything like that. When, you know, you know, Mothman, Bigfoot, any of this kind of stuff could just be here, you know? It could be here from time to time, could be here all the time, depending on what we're talking about. But just because something's weird and we don't know what it is doesn't mean it's evil. Yeah, I mean, they're just honestly judging a book by its cover, essentially, because think about it, too. If, like, a unicorn crossed the road, then everybody would be like, whoa. But, you know, if a, if a hellhound or a black dog with red eyes crosses the road, even if both of them don't interact with you, they just cross the road and that's it. You're going to associate yeah. one with good and one associated with There's bad. It's going to be a negative connotation for sure. Yeah. So just, again, judging it by its cover. While skeptics Don't argue. judge a cryptid by its cover. Ooh, we're going to start a new saying. Don't judge the Sasquatch, my friend. While skeptics. I, I was trying to think of something that rhymed with that, uh, but there's nothing. Nothing rhymes with Sasquatch. Asquatch. Farquatch. I don't know. I give up. It's like orange. Yeah. Good luck. Got nothing. While skeptics argue that these sightings are mere tricks of the mind or a misidentification of natural animals, those who have encountered the black shuck firsthand have little doubt about its existence. The profound impact it has had on people's lives and local communities cannot be easily dismissed. One explanation suggests that the legend of the black shuck arose from a combination of fear, superstition, and real-world events. The creature's appearance and alleged behavior could have been inspired by actual stray dogs, wolves, or other creatures that roamed in the East Anglia countryside. The red eyes and sinister aura could be attributed to atmospheric phenomenon, such as a reflection of moonlight or the glow of a distant fire. So kind of just jumping in right there, I think this you know, paragraph right here says it all. You know, the combination of actual events... And let me hang on. Let me find the quote. A combination of fear, superstition, and real world events. I think that's like the paranormal in a nutshell. You know, we've talked about this before, like with alien sighting, UFO sightings. I think 90% of that stuff is probably, you know, airplanes, natural phenomena, government stuff, but there's always that 1% small percentage. Yeah. And I think that's kind of all of this in a nutshell. You know, it is some combination of all these things, but there's always that small percentage that is unexplainable. And it talks about here, you know, like basically it doesn't say it, but they're talking about eye shine pretty much, which is a big thing and like Bigfoot and all of this kind of stuff. Dog man. Yeah, exactly. So I think this paragraph right here is perfect like if that could be a mission statement for the paranormal that's it right there 
as far as I'm concerned. Perfect. Yeah, that <laughs> and uh I mean, it's kind of funny too, because our method of thinking was exactly the same, because we were literally pretty much talking about that right before we even read the paragraph. Yeah, I, and you know, I skimmed through these notes. I didn't really know that was coming. So perfect. We'll have to uh, use that for future episodes. We'll just we'll just take that portion and we'll be go back to quote Black Chuck. Yeah, this piece. Print it and put it on the wall. Perfect. I'm gonna I'm gonna get a poster made. I'll put it up on the merch store. <laughs> we'll sell it at Cryptid Halloween too. Ooh. <laughs> Another theory poses that the Black Shuck legend draws inspiration from the ancient Celtic and Norse mythology. In both cultures, dogs were often associated with death and the underworld. The Black Shuck could thus be seen as a contribution of those traditions, a supernatural being guarding the boundary between the living and the dead. And in my research, I kind of came across that in Native American culture, there's this idea that dogs are the guardians of the underworld. So this is kind of like, as far as I'm concerned, like flood stories or anything like that. When you see the same motif popping up in cultures, you know, all over the world throughout time, that's obviously based on something. And this idea that these dog-like creatures are some kind of guardian of the underworld or something to that effect, there's something to that. And again, it's that combination of fear, superstition, and real-world events, but there's some basis of reality to that as far as I'm concerned. What, uh, what, I'm brain farting on it right now. I normally know this answer, but what, um, what folklore did Sybaris come from? Because, again, three-headed dog guarding the gates of the underworld. I believe that was originally Greek mythology? Yeah, that's gotta be Greek or or something like that. I'm not sure right off the top of my head. See, what fucks me up is that, um, the Divine Comedy, Dante Alighieri, he writes about, he takes a lot of stuff from Greek mythology and then like translates it into like Christian mythology. So he uses like, uh, you know, the crossing the river six essentially. And he also uses Sybaris, which that's, that's where it usually messes me up. And then on top of that, you have like the Greeks and then the Romans took the Greek mythology and just changed mm-hmm. the names of stuff. And then you had Dante that was including this into Christian mythology. So it's like, it's kind of blended into all three, but I'm pretty sure that the base root of it is Greek mythology. Well, I've, I've got some book and, you know, this popped in my head as you were talking. So I can't remember for the life of me what book it is, but it was a alien UFO type book. And somebody was talking to or interview and i apologize i'm butchering this story but i'm gonna bring it back around uh somebody was talking to or interviewing some high level government military like general or something like that and he said if you're looking for answers to this stuff look in greek mythology Mm -hmm. because that's there's a root to almost anything i mean look at language Mm -hmm. for example the root base for pretty much all language is essentially latin um you know it takes a look that's you'll see Latin in a little bit of every single language. And it's feel like if you keep following back this folklore, you're eventually going to get to a root folklore that everything has little snippets taken from. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But, um, but it's hard to tell with human history, how far back it goes, you know, like, cause most of the stuff we may not even have records for, and this could predate back even farther than that. Yeah. I mean, I would certainly assume a lot of this stuff goes back to just oral records before there was any kind of written anything. And it was just, you know, rock carvings and cave paintings and things like that. I mean, even just tablets. I mean, who knows how, how advanced previous cultures could have been 
Because I kind of follow the great flood narrative coming at that from even like the Graham Hancock standpoint about it being like an impact that was hitting like glacial areas and then just causing massive rushing amounts of water. So, I mean, like there could have been a lot more documentation of all of this folklore predating all of that. But I strongly feel that the great flood destroyed a huge portion of our records of anything that happened previous. And that's why we have such a hard time predating all of these ancient civilizations. And as soon as we find one, then we find another one that's older. We hear about another one that's older. So it's like, who knows how far back it realistically goes. And I feel like we barely even scratched the surface. Like we're looking at like uh, the Sumerians and Mesopotamia, like they might be the oldest, but like I, there's probably something way older than that, that they're taking their stuff from. They're just one of the ones that actually survived after everything got destroyed. And you know, the whole flood narrative it makes so much sense if you think about that as an actual event. Like we see these layers of sediment and, you know, fossils and things like that. And, you know, all these sites that it's one layer on top of another. If there's that inciting event, that just makes so much sense to me. And, you know, at this point in my life, I was raised in a Christian home. I, you know, went to church camp every summer. At this point, I don't consider myself a Christian, but I think there are historical aspects of the Bible that are probably true. And I think there's just too much evidence to the flood to argue with. And I think a lot of people who discredit that are doing it from a position of, we just have to discredit the Bible and discredit Christianity, which I'm not saying there, there's not, there's a lot of fucked up things about religion. I'll be the first person to admit that. But as a historical event, I would be surprised personally if the flood wasn't a real thing that happened. It might not have been completely global, but a big fucking flood happened as far as I'm concerned. I mean, at least That's the Northern something. Hemisphere, even going back to uh, the Sumerians, I mean, they have the Epic of Gilgamesh and it refers to yeah. of the flood happening in that. So even like one of the oldest cultures that we do know about even has historical, you know, uh, I guess, stories about a great flood happening. Nobody, yes, exactly. Like all these different cultures made up supposedly the exact same story. You know, it's like creation stories. Everybody's creation story is exactly the same. Some group or entity or individual from, quote unquote, the stars mixed some aspect of itself, some heavenly aspect with some earthly aspect, dust, dirt, whatever you want to call it, and created humans. The story is the same, just the details have changed. Same thing with the flood. The story is the same, just the details have changed. And I mean, that just leads me to believe there's something to it. I mean, even just to throw in another one too, as I mean, different variations as above, so below, so to speak, you got all the, a lot of the, like the native lore when it comes to create it or uh, cre the creation story, they come from the ground, come from the ground, come from the sky. Yeah. It's Inside coming from earth. a yeah. different plane onto the plane that we're existing on currently. And it's all just different variations of basically saying the same thing. Cause I know somebody's yeah, thrown that in there that there's people coming from the ground stories, but I just want to say it could realistically, realistically be kind of be looked at from the same way. Yeah. And I think I've said this on the show before, you know, with these old ancient stories and texts, I think a lot of people get caught up in the details and kind of miss the forest for the trees. And okay, well, again, what is this actually saying and what could this really mean in real world terms? And if we break it down to that, a lot of this stuff is all saying the same thing. Mm -hmm. 
So uh, kind of wrapping, we got a l just a little bit left, and we got some fun stuff towards the end here, but uh, the last little paragraph as far as like folklore goes before we get into all the real world stuff, of course. Uh, furthermore, the Black Shuck has been linked to the concept I of- I think this one's fun. I like this. This last one I was saying? Yeah, I, I like this part here. Uh, furthermore, the Black Shuck has also been linked to the concept of familiar spirits. Familiar spirits were, be were believed to have been supernatural entities that would assist witches, sorcerers, and individuals- with special powers. Some speculate that the black shuck could have been perceived as a familiar spirit, appearing to those with a connection to the supernatural or involved in witchcraft. So why I like that is in my research, I came across, yeah, and I wasn't researching the exact same dog-like entities, but there's so many similarities between all these. And the one I was looking into, which we're going to talk about at Crypto Halloween too, but had this connection with witches and wizards and things like that. So again, just only the details have changed in all these. And again, going back to even the beginning of these notes, talking about it being companionable, familiar yeah. spirit. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so this is the part where everything connects into the real world, where we've been very woo-woo, but get ready for this stuff, guys. This stuff's crazy. We will be sharing this at this event also, like he was just talking about. In 2013, 500 years after Black Shuck went on the prowl, archaeologists from Dig Ventures, the world's first crowdfunded and crowdsourced archaeologist excavation team, uncovered the skeleton of a seven-foot dog that in life would have weighed over 200 pounds. Unearthed in the remains of an ancient Leicester Abbey in a shallow grave dug only 20 inches deep, it was discovered a few miles from the two churches where Black Shuck went rampant during the almighty thunderstorm in August of 1577. Pottery fragments found at the same level from the height of Shuck's alleged reign, radiocarbon dating tests will now give an exact age for the bones, results that will serve either to enhance the Black Dog stories or perhaps to support the far less entertaining theory that here lies a 16th century Abbott's beloved old hunting dog but regardless brings validity to the possibility of large black dogs in the area at the time and possibly still to this day. The black shuck with its spectral presence serves as a reminder of the enduring power of myth and importance of storytelling in shaping our cultural heritage. Whether the black shuck is a product of supernatural encounters or a manifestation of their own fears and beliefs, its legend continues to inspire wonder and curiosity to this very day. And that, my friends, is the legend of Black Shuck. And well, that was a good one, Shane. Archaeologist uh, findings. For, yeah, I thank you for doing that. Um, yeah, I didn't know very much about this topic until you started talking about it, and I dug into it a little deeper. But you know, it's really interesting, and it relates to so much other stuff we talk about, like we've been talking about all episode, and you know, just the whole dog man thing. I think is interesting, and. Yeah, the, I mean, there's something to this. It's just a matter of what people want to perceive it as, I feel like. Honestly, yeah. I mean, the whole, like like I said, I think this all relates back into, like, the current, like, dogman idea as far as, like, I feel like a lot of, like, the folklore that's based behind the dogman is all stemmed from this stuff in combination with werewolf folklore and, you know, people are seeing something weird out in the woods, but yeah, I feel like yeah. all of their backstory they're collecting to try to bring some type of, like, 
proof to this topic is all based in all of this particular old folklore referring to other types of dogs, and it all just kind of gets brought into the fold altogether. Yeah, and you know, two things can be true at the same time. It's quite possible that, I mean, obviously there were these big fucking dogs at some point in time, and there could be this spectral woo-woo hellhound demon dog thing running around as well. You know, two things can be true at the same time. And just because the skeleton was found, which I think is a super cool fact, that doesn't mean there's not something weird going on as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, and even it gets back to the idea of things wearing masks. And, you know, if you are out in the woods and see something weird, you're going to expect to see a Bigfoot. And if you're in the desert, you're going to expect to see an alien or a UFO. Hey, if the, there's these big dogs running around and something weird happens to you in your church in the olden days, you're going to see a demon dog. I mean, even to get a little bit more on the woo side of it too, um, not necessarily like demonic possession, but there is still the possibility of possession by different entities. And I mean, at this time, if these big monstrous dogs were around, I mean, what not a better thing to be able to take over and just destroy an entire town with than these things. So, I mean, like that could be where the combination comes in where sometimes they're more companionable and then other times they're possessed by something or just even looking at it from a different perspective too. I mean, you also have the possibility of these things, um, getting some type of like neurological disorder or like rabies, for example. And I mean, these particular cases where you're referring to these things going rampant on people could literally be a case of them, you know, contracting some sort of like rabies, for example. Well, something I just thought of while you were talking, we know for a fact that like animals and shit used to be larger than they are now, you know, like in the ice age and shit, when there was more oxygen and things like that, stuff was just bigger. So if there were these big fucking dogs running around, like, you know, small pockets of them that had existed, you know, beyond their expiration date, if you will, it would make sense that they were running out of food sources. Yeah, and these are just the remnants that were left over from a prehistoric yeah. animal. Yeah, maybe there was just you know a handful of them left at that point. Because, I mean, it could have been, going back to that Great Flood concept, that most of them could have been taken out during that. I mean, yeah, that could have been, because I feel like this would have been after the whole, like, I don't know, not to get too into that conspiracy with the whole, like, dinosaurs kind of concept, but, like, theoretically, this could have been, like, the stage of animals that came after the dinosaurs, you know, like, were the time of, like, Sabretooth and, like, Mammoth and everything, and there could have been big black dogs that fit in with that whole concept of, you know, almost like the canine version of a, of a Sabretooth, and again, there, there were still supposed, like, Sabretooth sightings for a while after they were supposedly extinct. And woolly mammoths, yeah. So, yeah. same difference with Dude, this don't one. Don't even get me started on, I, I fucking love paleontology and dinosaurs and you know, that's not something that like super duper crosses over in a lot of stuff we talk about, but I, I could go on for hours about dinosaurs. So. Dude, you and me both. My, I, I got a huge thing Maybe for we mammoths. Do like a dinosaur episode at some point. Oh, definitely. I got to hit mammoths in that. That's what, that's like, I don't know why, but I've always had to draw into mammoths. I find them absolutely fascinating for little fun fact for everybody. When people used to discover mastodon skulls, the Greeks, when they first were finding them, thought that they were giant skulls because of the way that if you flip it up underneath, it looks like it's a big center eye with like a jaw. So a lot of the idea of like Cyclops giants, uh, a lot of people think that it was just mis- misinterpretation of mastodon skulls, which when they found more pieces and started putting stuff together, they realized that a lot of it was just people seeing the skull and not looking at it from the right angle. And that's what's like so interesting about and we're, we're going to take a little bit of a tangent here, but 
dinosaurs and paleontology and stuff like that to me is so much of this is just based off of just wild ass assumptions that people just blindly accept. Like the fact that nobody actually knows what the fuck a dinosaur looked like, but you know, we just have this idea in our minds and nobody has any fucking idea. I mean, there's this person who, uh, I don't have any of the details, but I've saw it on the internet at some point. It was this artist and he did this series of drawings, paintings, what have you. And it was like taking a horse skeleton and a cow skeleton, just normal everyday animals. And he said, if we presented these type of animals like we do dinosaurs where, okay, we've got this skeleton, which a lot of times is not even a whole skeleton. And you just drape skin over it. This thing fucking looks terrifying. And if you do the exact same thing with a cow or a horse, it also fucking looks terrifying. I mean, so, uh, I mean, all that was a really long-winded way of saying we have no idea what dinosaurs actually fucking looked like. I'm still pretty convinced that T-Rexes looked like giant chickens because, you know, dinosaurs yeah. are more closely related to birds. They're starting to believe that a lot of them were more feathered than, like, reptile skin. And just the weird arms of a T-Rex, man, I'm pretty sure that they went backwards and they were like little wings. And a T-Rex was essentially looked like a giant fucking carnivorous chicken. Yeah, they probably weren't nearly as badass as we want to think. Mm -mm. But again, that was probably just, they found it. And again, I think just look at the arms. Dude. They just look like they make more sense to go backwards, more like little chicken wings than these little like yeah. in the front little arms that make no fucking sense. Yeah. And again, bringing it back to the black shuck, you know, there could have been these big dogs that were still around. It, it makes perfect sense that even, you know, thousands and millions of years past that there was big fucking chickens running around and that's what we're gonna leave you with today guys giant chickens eating other chickens other chicken like reptile bird like beings <laughs> yeah. so uh wrapping up this shit show of an episode you guys know the drill uh reach out to us through email social media all that good stuff uh submit your own bizarre encounters for the book chains working on and Hey, thank y'all for putting up with us tonight. The Halloween spectacular has been spectacular. Absolutely spectacular. And I know that you guys definitely enjoyed this episode. So if you guys haven't already, don't forget to leave a review or a rating for us on Spotify or iTunes. We would really, really appreciate it. You guys don't have to, but you know, if you guys stick, stuck around for this long, it means that you like listening to us at least a little bit. So, you know, give us a little boost in the algorithm, make it so more people see the show, uh, make it so that we have more support to do the show. But the only way it's going to happen is with you guys. And we greatly appreciate you guys for supporting the show in any way, shape or form that you choose to do so. And uh, everything that we've mentioned today has been available, is available, not has been, but is available down well, in the show notes. It has been and it also still is. It has been and it always will be. <laughs> available down in the show notes off of the link tree in the show description. I've been Shane. I've been Orn. And guys, I tell you again, every single episode, and if you guys even want to, so you guys remember forever, you guys, when you come to this event and come see us, you guys can buy t-shirts that say it so that you'll always be reminded every time you look in the mirror that you guys need to always, always stay bizarre, my friends. Bizarre. Bizarre. Ghost bizarre. dog shit? Bizarre.